Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Uh, Really good to see each of you today. Um, I spent the last week in New York with a uh, pastor who's uh, been a bit of a a mentor, a hero in the faith uh, for years and spent some time um, with him and a group of um, young pastors. I'm 37. I'm just glad to still be counted young in that. Um, And it was uh, it was such a it was such a good week away. Um, It's it's, uh, it was also there was uh, some moments across this last week that um, experienced the 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 peace and the presence of God in a way that was so real and it was so profound. I haven't been able to talk about it without getting a little emotional. And I just tell you that uh, up front as I prepare to share with you uh, for a few minutes right here. Um, Experiencing the the presence of God uh, very evidently um, through prayer, through some conversations, even through uh, some time. You ever been in one of those moments when you're taking some time to pray and it's almost like the Lord like has a special love for you in that moment and He actually reveals things to other people that are happening back here and in your own heart and those things just get said to you in a way where the very presence and person of God was just so real to me. So um, I'm, I'm carrying that. I'm, I'm feeling that as we, we stand here together. It has me very excited for what ministry uh, can look like for us in the season ahead as uh, we, 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 we sort through uh, some of this. And um, over the last two days, uh, my heart was swelling for, for two things. One, to see my wife and my kids. Um, the other is to, to see you, to be back in the room, anticipating like landing this morning, being here with you today. I am so thankful for you. So thankful for the work that God is, is doing here. Um, a few people roll up into this town three years ago, endure COVID, endure some other stuff. And like, look right and left right now, like actually, there's a community of people saying Jesus is Lord in a community where there wasn't before. God is present with us even here. And uh, one thing I'm learning across this last week that I hope to give you a a bit of today is that God uh, comes where he's wanted. Think about that. Um, been looking around my own life, been thinking about uh, some different dynamics and relationships and needs and provisions and um, just realizing God comes where he's wanted. I just wonder if you have an area of your life where uh, you could do with the peace and presence of God. Um, we all have these different pain points and these different elements of experience, but oftentimes we try to fix these things in our own We try to carry these things on our own. Maybe through the course of this moment and some time to worship together in a a minute, um, we could even invite God in to some 
specific parts of our hearts and our lives. We invite God into that dynamic, that relationship, that need, that, that, that element of provision that you don't know how it's going to work unless that comes in. That we can trust God for that together this afternoon. Um, look, we'll give you a, give you a word here around this idea, how to draw near from Ecclesiastes chapter five. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're here today. There's an element by you being in the room today where you were, you were showing like you want to draw near to God. Maybe you just came because a friend invited you. Maybe you came because this has become a bit of a habit or a routine, but you still came and you're still here. And that's great. Like I affirm this and I say, let's excel all the more in doing what's happening in here right now. But there's some real help in this text of scripture for us because this text of scripture gets to speak to us about how to draw near when we don't feel like drawing near, how to draw near when life doesn't make sense. This was a big metaphor illustration last week. We're going to pick it up and we're going to carry it a little further today. Last week we talked about how life is lived under the loom. You can imagine a, an amazing looking rug or carpet. When you look down on it from the top, it, it, it looks, I mean, it's beautiful. Like somebody had a plan and somebody executed the plan in weaving this whole thing together. But you pick up the corner of it and uh, oftentimes you'll find a lot of dust, but right underneath the rug, um, you'll see it's actually had to be like laminated and sealed because while the top does look beautiful, under the surface, it's just loose ends. It's a bunch of parts that look like they can't be reconciled to one another. They don't really make sense. And the chapter of Ecclesiastes that we're coming from talks about how life in this world is a life lived under the sun but last week we considered under the loom. We considered that God is the great artist. God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. You and I are living out these days underneath the sun. We're underneath the loom. We can't see how this whole thing is being spun and woven together to where it's going to be beautiful and it's going to make sense in the end. We're just kind of under it. Stuff's happening. And so much of life is looking up, trying to figure out God, how does that make sense? So with that in mind, our tour guide to the realities of life, his name's Solomon. He's given us this book called Ecclesiastes. Solomon, he has something he needs to say right after that. Solomon needs to take us to church. And Solomon wants to help us think, how do we get around and do this when so much is happening under the loom that doesn't really make sense? It's great we're here, but let's be honest about those many days when we don't want to be here and some of those days when we don't even make it here. Reasons we don't want to come around. Apathy, cynicism, frustration, brokenness. Some things that have been done to us, other things that we've done to other people just make us feel like it's not worthy, it's not worth it, or I'm not worthy to get around it. So our question then, if we wanted a question to think on, how then should we draw near to God when life doesn't make sense? How? If we're living out these days under the loom and under the sun. How should we do this when it doesn't make sense? Looking around Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it feels different than the rest of the book. It's where uh, 
you're reading the book and you actually you, you, you take in some fresh air here because our, our tour guide with realities to life, Solomon, he clues up for us. I know about God. I know about the temple. I know what path we're actually on. He's cashing some, he's cashing some things in for us here and we're getting a sense like he actually knows, he actually knows what's going on. He's not, he's not crazy. He knows what he's doing as he takes us through some of these other chapters. There's some that would say this section of Ecclesiastes that we're looking at to get today, it actually is the center of the book. It resonates with the other seize the day or the carpe diem passages that you see around it. This conclusion here to fear God, it mirrors the conclusion of the book to fear God. It's as if Solomon in this book all about how money won't satisfy, sex won't satisfy, this world has a cyclical, boring nature to it that's intended to get us to lift our gaze and consider God, he puts this bit right in the middle. Which is a center of gravity holding the rest of the elements of the book in orbit around it. Here's some things to keep in mind when you draw near to God. This is a, it has a taste. What we're looking at this afternoon, it has a taste of Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73, the, the author, he found so many injustices around him in the world. He believed the injustices around him contradicted the character of God. He sets out writing a psalm about it, Psalm 73. But it wasn't until... He went to the house of God until he drew near to God that the apparent anomalies, that those contradictions had a way of falling into place. So worship has to do with God. But the problem is we're constantly distracted. And even when we're not distracted, we get around for something like this and we make it about so many other things. How can we draw near? I'm just going to give you a few, a few ideas from Ecclesiastes 5 and then take, the, take this to somewhere else. First, notice this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Wise people draw near to God by listening. Guard your steps. Um, maybe just a, a more vernacular English way of putting it. Like, watch out. Watch out when you go to the house of God. And go to the house of God to listen. Instead of going to the house of God to offer the sacrifice of fools, they, they don't even know when they do wrong. It's, it's the idea that when they sin, it doesn't even bother them. We got we to recognize that the good news here is that we're told to go to the house of God. We're told to draw near to God. Do you see that in verse 1? Draw near to God. Go near to God. And in this little section of Scripture, you're told how to draw near to God and how not to draw near to God. And you're getting these two ways of approaching God drawn up for you. You're getting the way of the wise and you're getting the way of the fool. It almost kind of sounds like Psalm chapter 1 gives us these two different ways to live, these two different paths to walk. Teacher's strong advice for us above all else is to go to the house of God. How do you draw near to God when you don't feel like it? How do you draw near to God when it feels like you're under the loom and nothing makes sense? Is you go. Worship here is called a sacrifice because it's an offering to God. The Hebrew word for both terms is very familiar. 
And we hear this, and this might feel kind of far to us. This might feel kind of far, and it's like, well, I can go to the house of God today. I'm in here with a Chartwell's sign on the wall. I got some stained floors beneath my feet. I can still smell the primary school vibe in the air. Like, I, I can go to the house of God. Oh, we indeed have. What God has done through Jesus, in sending his son to complete the mission of Israel in the Old Testament to form a people, to be his special people. He's going to reveal his character to those people. He's going to reveal his character through those people to the world. The church, church can be a building, but it's a family that makes a house a home. This is the house of God. The people are the house of God. 1 Peter and 2 Peter tell us God is assembling his temple through living stones. Living stones. The house of God. Yeah, this is actually pretty familiar to us. We don't need the sacrifice that's spoken of here. Nobody's bringing in like a, like a goat leg in here. You know, we're going to burn this thing up and give God glory through it. I mean, that was a thing for some people in the past, but that's not us. Book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice before God once and for all. Once and for all, for all of our sins. We get around not to not to burn an animal part. We get around to worship. We get around to give God our thoughts. We get around to center ourselves. We get around to stabilize ourselves through friendships, godly people who care about our lives. We're told to go near. Verse 2, we're told, don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. In contrast to the sacrifice of fools, the Bible says there's going to be fools that will get around this thing and they'll just have excessive talk going on and on and on and on. And it's the idea of not just how many words are coming out. It's the idea of words that come out that don't have a heart behind it. I would say, be careful. The wise, they get around to listen. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. But it's fools that get around they might say a lot of things or they might say a few things, but the thing they have in common is they don't have much heart behind it. They don't mean it. So we don't go to worship with frivolous words thinking God would hear us just because we talk a lot. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. The fact of the matter is God doesn't want a lot of our words. God wants a lot of our heart. And we see there's a wise way to get around. The wise approach to listen. And when they speak, they speak with and from their heart. And more good news here. Jesus is our perfect example of this. The Bible says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. In James chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus Christ is that perfect man. Every word that Jesus spoke was perfect. Every word that Jesus spoke was true. Jesus never made a rash comment. Even when he was persecuted, he did not respond to his persecutors in a way that had unrighteous anger to it. All the way down to the very end of his life, when he was dying on a cross, every word that Jesus spoke was carefully chosen. This means Jesus has grace to help us speak like that. Through the Holy Spirit, he can teach us to speak in a way that brings glory to God. I find a lot of comfort in that. 
And then the whole book is summed up in the second part of verse 2. God is in heaven, you're on earth, so let your words be few. So this means life for the Christian. Life for the Christian means we're not becoming the kind of people that just say something just because we, that we think that's what God wants to hear. I'm going to commit to this just because I think that's what God wants. I'm just going to say I'll serve or say I'll show up or say I'll join this or I'll give to that. We, we tend to think talking to God is like speaking in a microphone. What this is saying to us is God is actually listening to our speaking with a doctor's stethoscope that just listens to our heart. Just like a doctor that says, let me hear you breathe. And he listens to what we cannot see. The Bible's saying this is how the wise are supposed to go with God. He is paying attention to things that we cannot see, that we can't even hear with our words. And then he goes to something else. He says, look, that's how the wise are going to get around. And then he clues us in. This is how the fools are going to get around. Fools draw near to God through many words. Verse 3, I'll, I'll admit, is the trickiest part of this whole thing to translate. It's like, what? Uh, a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Um, some of the best ways to understand this that, that I've come across is uh, there's something about the on and on and on and on and on and on and on nature of work that tires a man or a woman out where all they really have left is just kind of empty words, just stacking up empty words. The other way to understand this, though, is, is someone who has dreams of what could be, but they don't have action, they don't have follow-through on them, so you have somebody that like talks a massive talk, but you look at their life and there's like very little walk. Jesus here has grace, whatever this means. Jesus here has grace to help us speak words that are pleasing to God. He can touch our lips with his grace. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can teach us to say things that glorify God. And then you have this whole section here in verses four, five, and six. And this might, this might feel foreign to us as well. We read this and we think, man, this is kind of good. I guess I'm off the hook from this. Making vows to God, fulfilling it. You might think, well, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't made vows to God. But I think when we press into this, we, we can actually see, no, not only have we, but the Bible actually assumes that we will multiple times throughout our life. We're going to commit to things. We're going to commit, like, I don't just want to come around here and just attend here. I'm going I'm to put roots in. I'm going, to, I'm going to join this church. I'm going to meaningfully belong to what God is doing here. We commit to other things. Like, amazingly, there's, there's so many children upstairs. And in the last week, some people have heard the call. Like, man, we need more people to come and care for and disciple the children while the parents are down here being able to study God's Word. People have heard that and people have committed to it. And you commit to it in making a vow, Right? The point is that when we make our commitments to God, we're actually warned, don't, don't hold back. And the, the fool is, is warned specifically, be careful about that ability to when you say you're going to do something, you then just kind of talk and you prop it up and you explain it away. Well, I didn't know the, I didn't know the weather would change, didn't know the train would be canceled, didn't know the economy would shift. 
It's just from God's word here. Be careful. Look at that last bit in verse 6. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. Um, a way to understand that could be even be like the leader who's present saying, my vow was a mistake. Like I didn't mean to. Why should God be angry at you and destroy the work of your hands? It's like, wow. I mean, these are stark, stark warnings. Vows are meant to be carried out. And you read over in the New Testament, you're like, man, maybe this is just some Old Testament stuff, like surely. No, no but when you, when you go to the New Testament, like on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, you have Acts chapter 5. You have Ananias and Sapphira. They made a, made a vow, made a commitment, said a thing that wasn't the thing, and the Lord judged even there. And that kind of brings us into this, this space where we're realizing, like, man, um, God's after more than attendance. God's after more than words. It's not that I came to a thing, but it's like that our heart and our spirit was in it. It wasn't that I just said the right thing at the right time, or I went to a place and I like said hey to another Christian, so that makes me a thing. The Bible's kind of pressing beneath that. Jesus had a way of talking about this. But Jesus said, the Father is looking for worshipers who are going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the summary bit there in verse 7 is much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Like Fools hear it. And I'm like, yep, I got you. So we're taking this on board. Similar point to dreams mentioned above. The emphasis is on fearing God. The application of all of this is do not sin with your heart and then protest like, Oh, I'm actually maxed out. I can't do it. I said I could. I said I would, but now I couldn't. Ecclesiastes is like, stop that. Stop. Stop. It's a foolish way to go at it. Our first business then is to fear God. And Jesus, like you can hear an echo. You can hear an echo in Jesus when he's talking in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 36. We must guard our mouths when we contemplate such obstacles to faith and in the enigmas that life produces. Well, and there we are. We're back at the start. How, how do we do this when life doesn't make sense? When we're living under the sun and there are so many seemingly loose ends, there are so many inconsistencies, it looks like there are so many anomalies to what God is doing in the world. If we're not careful, we can become the kind of people that get around here and we get around our community groups and then we even sit on our own on the train and we have a cynical spirit that starts to rise up and criticize God and doubt God. And then we start thinking on our lives. I told God I would do this, but things aren't really going my way, so I guess I'm going to check him and I'm just going to take it this other way. And Ecclesiastes has a word for us here. Stop it. So here's good news for our, our ability to keep promises. Jesus is the only one who kept all of his promises. Jesus is the only one who made a vow to offer a holy sacrifice, the sacrifice of his body for our sins, and by the mercy of Jesus. All of us can be forgiven for all of those vows we said we would do and we broke. We're back to Jesus again. Now, by the grace of Jesus, we can have help in our commitment keeping. By the grace of God, we are praying that our Savior will help us to grow to be a people that make commitments and keep commitments by God's grace and for God's glory. He has grace to help us. Therefore, the conclusion 
is fear God. And look, that's what's happening in Ecclesiastes 5. Now let's kind of feel the camera lens zoom out off the, off the tight little paragraph of Ecclesiastes 5 and think about what else is going on. Wisdom is here, and wisdom remembers that life is lived under the sun. The big question, how do we do this when it feels like God isn't there? Wisdom is present, and wisdom is operating, and wisdom remembers that we are under the sun. Wisdom remembers that we are under the loom. Solomon was a builder. Uh, Solomon knew what it was to build this temple he's talking about because he was involved in the very construction of it. And what matters so much about the temple is that the temple reminds us of God's great purpose. In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, Genesis tells us that God desired to create a world. He desired to have community. He desired to have companionship and relationship with us. The Bible says you are not a mistake. The Bible says you were created in the image and likeness of Jesus. You were created to know God. You were created to love God. You were created to be loved by God. And you were created for the love of God to flow through you out into the world. The, the good place was called Eden. It was the original creational temple. And when Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, they, they, they said they do something and they broke it. When Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, they were kicked out of that temple and they became a wilderness people. They were made for Eden, but then they had to live their days in the wilderness. They had to live their days on a journey. But God told Moses, he just chose a man, and he says, listen, I want you to create a temple. And the temple was called the tabernacle, which means the idea that God was going to come down and he was going to make his dwelling amongst the people. He wasn't doing anything entirely new. He was doing what he's always been about. Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and across the wilderness into a new land where they would dwell with God. They actually created a tent called the tabernacle where they would rest with God. And then we can start thinking about what Solomon has for us here. Solomon, who is involved in the construction of the temple that's under discussion today, and Solomon's just looking at people. Solomon must have known something about how this goes in a world full of so many frustrations and so many enigmas. There could be something in the human heart and the spirit that when it comes time to approach the temple, there's a wise way to go at this, and there's a foolish way to go at this. Then we think to the other side, who we are today through the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. He is creating a new temple of God. The principles of this text, they still apply to us. There's a wise way to get around here. There's a foolish way to get around here. And that brings us to the Lord's Supper. Uh, a few of our leaders are going are to serve the supper and uh, I want to create some space for you to be able to, to think on this. And we'll see how the Lord wants to minister to us. Gil, why don't you, why don't you come on up? We'll, we'll transition here. When you look at all of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you have this phrase, to draw near. But one of the great tensions is like, how are we going to draw near if we've actually been kicked out and we, we don't have access because of our sin? Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we can have access because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then 
approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We have many times of need in this room. And the Bible says you can walk right into the presence of the God that made you through a doorway called Jesus. You can go right into the presence of God and you can say because of what God has done through this person of Jesus, we have a problem. We need help. We need provision. We need healing. We need guidance. We need instruction. And that is available, not apart from Jesus. That is only available through Jesus. It's available because of the sacrifice of Jesus. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he had what's called the Last Supper, now known as the Lord's Supper. It was the same covenant meal that he'd been having with his people all throughout the Old Testament. He's been leading them through the wilderness. He's been going from tabernacle to temple with them. He had these memorial meals to help them know, I love you and I'm for you. Even though you got some wilderness days, even though you're under the sun right now, even though it looks like it's all under the loom, I know what's going on. And he kept feeding them and he fed them these covenant meals. And on the night that Jesus was going to go to the cross the next morning, Jesus had a meal. And on the table is bread and on the table is wine and seated at the table was the Lamb of God. He was going to give his body to be the once and for all sacrifice to make things right with his people. So our friends are going to come through and they're going to serve this right now. But listen, this is for people who are actively trusting in Jesus right now for salvation. And if that's you, take one of these, pass that basket around. As you take one and pass it around, don't go to eating it just yet. Let me chat with you for just a moment more. And listen, if, if this is not you today, that is okay. Let the basket pass by you. Okay, this is for people actively trusting in Jesus. So let the basket pass by you, but do not let the invitation of this moment pass you by. In this moment, listen to what I'm saying. This right here represents the gospel. This right here represents his sacrifice for undeserving us. And you're about to watch people who are trusting in him and resting in him to take this. And if that's not right where you are today, then what you can take in this moment, you can take the offer of the gospel that is being freely given to you. Jesus Christ is water that will well up to a fountain of water within you and you'll never thirst again. Jesus is the bread of life. If you consume him, you will be satisfied in the deepest ways. Jesus is that sacrifice offering that all who consume it they know what it is to be forgiven and guilt-free before God. But if you're not trusting in Jesus today, receive the gospel that's being extended to you, the good news. We're all messed up sinners. We've all been kicked out of Eden. We're all kind of in this wilderness wandering. We're all grumbling and hungering, hungering in our souls, looking for a way to be satisfied. And here, God offers you meaning, significance, and a clean slate through the work of his son on the cross. Because on the cross, God made him who had no sin to become the sin, so that we who had much sin, we can become the righteousness 
of God. God comes where he's wanted. And as we sit here with something that would barely suffice as a snack, we get to remind our souls through our taste buds who our God is and how our God loves us. So as they sat around the table, Jesus took the bread. Jesus looking at the people he loved, he said, this is my body and it's gonna be broken for you to take and eat and remember. that body that would go to the cross that would be nailed and torn to bits should have been us and Jesus willingly took our place and he took that on himself and then he took the wine and he says this represents a new covenant that I'm making with my blood and he shed his blood so our blood didn't have to be shed. This is how our priest treats us. This is how our mediator makes a way to God so that we can talk to him and we can have access to him. So we take and we drink and we remember him. God comes where he's wanted. We're gonna have some time to invite God to come into our lives. Fill up this room, fill up this church as we minister together. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled, cleansed, no longer a guilty conscience, but we've been washed with pure water. As a church, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Even though it feels like we're living under the canopy and under the sun, he is looming something up above. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might get around and spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but getting around and encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the word for the next few minutes. James chapter four. It's beautiful. It's a startling verse when you actually think about it. This God that saw people who sinned against him, he said, we can't, we can't operate together. He kicked them out of Eden. They had the wilderness and they had mediators. Now, because of what God has done for us through the covenant, making promises that he will love us, he will be true to us if we only trust in the son. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Powerful. God will come where he is wanted. And we're just going to take some time here. We're going to have some time to sing. But I'm going uh, to do something we, we didn't really plan for it. We'll just be available for it. I'm going to ask David and Andrew 
to come and we'll just kind of be standing around up here. And if you have something that's in your heart that you just want somebody to maybe pray with you or pray for you and invite God in, just a, a, few, a few leaders of the church, we'll just be standing around up here up front while this song is sung. It's an opportunity for us to draw near to God because he inhabits the praises of his people. He comes where he's wanted and invited. So let's take some time just to want him together, to invite him, to draw near to him and feel him drawing near to us. Go ahead and stand.